So it's said in suttas, in the discourses of the Buddha, that anybody who has gained awakening has done so by abandoning the five hindrances, practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, and cultivating the seven factors of awakening. There's he said this even in more than one place. So my understanding is that all of these lists are going to be covered in this series. So it should be sufficient for awakening then. You guys are well on the way. Um, so we're currently in the right in the middle of that, talking about the four foundations or establishments of mindfulness. And tonight's topic is the third establishment of mindfulness, the, the citta. That's the Pali word, but it means the mind. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means. So these um, satipatthana practices, as they are called, which means establishment of mindfulness, are meant to lead to the establishment of something called mindfulness. They're not, um, they're exercises that help us build strength in mindfulness. And when we have done the exercises that are listed in the sutta, and there are many, many of them, um, the mind becomes capable of doing what's called abiding or resting in mindfulness as a way of going about its business. And of course, we have to keep practicing to, to be able to do that. So these are the areas of experience. These establishments of mindfulness are the areas of experience that we should pay attention to, to lead to the establishing of mindfulness. Um, so this is useful if one is interested in walking the path to liberation. So the first establishment, I'm just gonna cover briefly the two up to now is, is the body, which you've already heard about. And this one is maybe the most easy to connect with, of course, because uh, we all have experience with the material side of existence. It's fairly obvious to us much of the day. Um, and then the, the second establishment or foundation of mindfulness is the Vedana, the feeling tone. And um, this is more subtle and it explicitly connects the body to the mind. It's like the little bridge within this sutta where we change from the uh, body into the mind. And it's vitally important to notice the feeling tone because so much of our reactivity in our, in our life and our, uh, our mind comes about from really nothing more than wanting the pleasant and not wanting the unpleasant. It's very humbling when we discover this through our own experience. So you know, that's why you know, that's why it's important to pay attention to the feeling tone. So the third area, tonight's topic, is um, more subtle yet, but it's getting into the realm where we can find freedom. So the term uh, citta, uh, C-I-T-T-A, is how that's spelled. Uh, refers to the mind as a whole. That's what I pointed us to at the end of the meditation. Um, but still it's seen, the mind is still seen as contain, containing various components that can be observed. So um, one practices mindfulness of the mind from a perspective that is sufficiently non-identified with the contents of the mind that we can watch things like thoughts or views or intentions arising. So let me say that again. 
because it's important. We practice mindfulness of mind from a perspective that is sufficiently non-identified with the contents of the mind that we can watch things like thoughts, views, and intentions arising and passing away. So our normal mode is that we would leap onto those trains and go with them. But mindfulness of the mind, we're asked to start watching how our mind functions. So, in fact, there was a teacher who said, if you want to know how your mind works, sit down and observe it. It's really that simple. So let's look at what the Satipatthana Sutta, um, Ajimanikaya 10, says about mindfulness of mind. I'm going to read, there's many translations, I'll just read one that I happen to think is good. So this one says, a practitioner knows mind with greed as mind with greed, and mind without greed as mind without greed. They know mind with hate as mind with hate, and mind without hate as mind without hate. And they know mind with delusion as mind with delusion, and mind without delusion as mind without delusion. Start to see the nature of how this whole, whole uh, Satipatthana sounds, is that in this case, um, what's named first are these things, greed, hate, and delusion. So in the Buddha's teachings, these three are called the three poisons. They're the three main defilements of the mind or main problems. Let's just say these are the main problems in our mind that lead to suffering, lead to our suffering in various ways. So, um, but uh, I'm going to uh, point out some things about how the sutta phrases uh, these observations. So note that it does not say uh, we know a greedy mind as a greedy mind. It says a mind with greed. That's actually important. It wouldn't be very hard in the Pali, unless the language these are written in, to say a greedy mind. That's totally possible. But it says a mind with greed. So there seems to be an inherent understanding that greed is not an intrinsic component of the mind. It's something extra. We have our mind with greed. It's uh, somehow affecting it. Sometimes the translation of this will say a mind affected by greed as a mind affected by greed. Technically, it just says with, but I think that's the implication. So we've probably experienced this. I mean, we may realize at some point that uh, throughout the day that our mind is just kind of in a wanting state or that we've already grasped something that we want, but it's really just a state of mind. Like, for example, we might be flipping through a catalog looking for something to want. <laughs> well, that's a mind that's affected by greed. <laughs> or we might sit there interested in getting a latte, but able to see that that wanting is uh, just coloring. It's just an aspect of the mind. It's just coloring our mind at that moment. This is mind wanting latte at this moment. So. It's, it's very interesting that we can observe that in our mind, right? Uh, we can somehow have that wanting, but we're, we're watching it. So at that moment, we're not necessarily caught up in it. And then the next moment, we go into the latte because we got caught up in it. But we can do this observation before that. It's very interesting. We can even see delusion like this and see that the mind is affected by delusion at, at a given moment. Very interesting. So then the sutta goes on. Um, and this little section gives us some more instructions, and they sound similar. 
it says the meditator knows constricted mind as constricted mind and scattered mind as scattered mind. So this is, these are also defiled states or uh, states that are not helpful to a mind. Um, it's, not, it's when the mind is not exactly caught up in greed, hatred, or delusion, um, but it is somehow contracted or somehow scattered. We couldn't exactly say it's got any of those three main things going on, but still it's sort of not functioning optimally, if you will. One time I was practicing mindfulness of mind when I was in a state of grief. And grief is not really greed, it's not really hatred, it's not really delusion, uh, but it is a, a contracted state of mind. It's a heavy state of mind. So I was able to identify that that was the place in the instructions where my mind was at that moment. So then it goes on, it has these first five things that are all uh, kind of negative aspects of the mind. And then it goes on with another set, and I'll, I won't read all of them, but I'll, since you know the pattern, and I won't read all of the language, but I'll read all the things. So it says, the meditator knows expansive mind as expansive mind, and unexpansive mind as unexpansive mind. And they know mind that is not supreme as mind that is not supreme, and mind that is supreme as mind that is supreme. And then it goes on for samadhi and not samadhi, and free a freed mind and an unfreed mind. So samadhi being concentration. Um, so here we get into pairs. These are more paired up. So these are pairs where we're directly observing a mind that is spacious, open, or concentrated, things that are very positive, or they're opposites. You know, I know that my mind is not in a very supreme state right now, for example. And there are some commentaries that say the supreme refers to, say, the Brahmaviharas, which are going to be coming later in this series. These are exalted emotions that the mind can experience. So we know whether our mind is in a state like that or not. Um, and so, you know, why? Why is this pointed out? Well, this is a place where we can get to know a mind that's in a really healthy, um, wonderful state, or one that's sort of not having that right now. And this gives, the reason for this is that we get familiar with a mind that's um, going in a good direction or not in kind of a general way in these, in these dimensions. And it gives us good reference points. If you have no idea what your mind feels like when it's free and happy, because you weren't mindful at that moment, how will you ever, learn to continue moving in that direction. It's just conditioned in the heart that we actually prefer the free, happy, expansive, loving states of mind. It's very natural that we would prefer how those feel. And so in this um, foundation of mindfulness, we notice when the mind is feeling like that and when it isn't. And very, we don't even have to do much. As soon as we see that difference, we've given the mind a good reference point and it will naturally try to move more in the helpful direction. It may take years <laughs> to cultivate over time, but um, uh, this is what this foundation is teaching us. It's giving us good reference points. Note that at, at the end it says liberated mind. I think I said freed before, it's the same. Liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated. So this doesn't necessarily refer to final liberation becoming 
um, fully awakened, but it can refer to various kinds of temporary liberation that we experience all along the path. The temporary liberation of the mind through, through metta, through loving kindness, where there's no ill will, everything, the mind is completely opened to that state. Or, um, you know, other kinds of temporary liberations that happen during concentration practice, for example. So again, the mind is sort of bathing itself in knowledge about what this feels like and also what it's like when the mind is not free, helping the mind to move in that direction. So overall, just stepping back, what is that's it, by the way, for the third foundation of mindfulness in terms of the instructions. And then there's um, uh, also what's called the refrain that's used for all of the exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta. But um, what is happening in this foundation? Why are we just observing? What's going on with the, just observing all this stuff about the mind or the heart? Um, one thing to note is that this establishment of mindfulness is completely non-judgmental. So we don't, it doesn't say, if you observe your mind with greed, very quickly get rid of that greed. If you observe your mind with hatred, slap on some metta and stop feeling that. It doesn't say that. It says, you just know, oh, my mind has hate in it right now. So it's reminding us that if we are mindful of things in the mind that are not very wholesome, which happens a lot, but if we're mindful of them, they're not harming us. So if you know that you're angry, just know that you're angry. You're, you're okay at that moment. Knowing it is safety enough. Um, sometimes we think we have to get rid of it all and make the mind in a better state. This is just a self-improvement project. Your mind is as it is. And knowing that is great. Um, it's a, it's a, it lets your mind naturally see, oh, this is what hate feels like. I don't like it very much. At some level, you're learning that. So I love the non-judgmental nature of this. We have to be willing to see that in our mind, of course. There's a lot of resistance sometimes to seeing that our mind does have stuff like that in it. Yep, I have sexual lust, I have hatred, I have bias. Um, okay, there it is, it's conditioned. Are you willing to just see that and sit with it? It's a great, great skill. The other thing just to point out about this foundation of mindfulness is that these exercises of seeing how the mind is, is setting the mind up for the fourth establishment of mindfulness, which I think you're going to hear about next week, um, which is about noticing how the various components and states of mind come about, persist, and go away. That's the whole point of that, that fourth exercise, or not the whole point, but it's much of it. So, for example, just a little preview, the first section of the fourth foundation of mindfulness is on observing the hindrances in the mind, which are a particular set, you may have heard about them even earlier in this series, a particular set of things that bother the mind, so it can't be wise, essentially. And the first thing that you're supposed to do in the fourth foundation of mindfulness is observe that the hindrances are there or not, and how they come and go. And so if you've never observed the hindrances, that's going to be hard to do. But in the third foundation, you know, mind with greed, with hate, with delusion, those are uh, similar to some of the hindrances, greed and hate in particular at the beginning of the hindrances. So we see that what we're learning about our mind in this exercise set of exercises is preparing us to be able to do the later exercises. It's like a nice complete lesson, this, this um, teaching in the Satipatthana Sutta that we're going through now.
So I love this section, actually, of the teachings. It's very rich. Um, and then it goes on to the what's called the refrain, um, which you may or may not have covered already. But just as a reminder, even if you have, is that um, when we do these exercises with the mind, we do it internally. We observe internally how our mind is. And then interestingly, it says externally, which is usually said to refer to the minds of others. Now, uh, I'm not really capable of reading the minds of others, but we can kind of notice when other people are like in children. It's so easy to see when they're affected by greed, right? You know, they just have that wanting look in their eyes. It's like, yep, there's a mind affected by greed. So, you know, we can, um, we can see these sometimes in other people. But probably more important is that it remains focused on arising and on passing away and on both arising and passing away. So we observe that these moods, states of mind, aspects of mind that we're observing in here come in, go out, change, shift over time. And remember, this is a non-judgmental um, uh, exercise. So we don't, we're not trying to get rid of them and yet they go away. A mind with greed, if we just observe it, eventually the greed will change. And that is very useful information for the mind. Because if you know that greed and hate and delusion will end in and of themselves, um, then you can uh, understand that you don't need to fulfill what the greed says you have to get in order for it to go away. If you just wait, it will eventually go, to go away. So there's wisdom there. There's actually wisdom being cultivated about not having to follow greed and hate, not having to give in to the push that each of those give you, for example got to do this or got to get rid of that. Don't bother. It'll go away eventually. So, and then um, the other part of the refrain, kind of the uh, general instructions for each of these is that we can just notice if the mind is getting very subtle, we just notice kind of the, the overall state of the mind. So that makes it um, not such a you could sound a little busy the way I read all of these pairs and we have to know this and know that and label this and label that. It's actually fine also in this exercise with the mind to, to just sit tight and uh, know generally that there's a state of mind. You know, the mind is there, it's observing something. You just kind of feel the mind like it's a, a lake, sort of a broad, flat lake within experience. And so, um, that's also a fine way to, to do this. You don't need to get busy with all of these categories. So I went through that a little bit quickly because I wanted to um, also give you a little section about a particular way of practicing the mindfulness of mind um, that's offered by a modern teacher that I've practiced um, on, uh, on my own and also on several retreats that were focused on this, that I think is quite very practical and something we can do in our daily life. Um, and the teacher's name is Sayadaw Utejaniya, who is a Burmese monk. Um, he's alive now, still teaching. And he has taken these mindfulness of mind practices um, from this sutta and from other, other teachings of the Buddha. And he's kind of unfolded them into a, a larger system of practice that aims to cultivate wisdom. And his teachings are quite wonderful because they're very um, 
accessible, let's say. And so, um, so sometimes many, sometimes people like to have some specificity about how to do these mindfulness of mind practices. So I thought I would just go through a little bit of what I've learned from his teachings. It's definitely not going to be complete in a short time, but I encourage you to look up his books if you're interested in uh, learning more about this kind of mindfulness of mind practice. It is a particular style. So he starts, Sayadaw Utejaniya starts with the idea that we are naturalists of our, of our mind. Our job is to observe the mind organically functioning. So that brings in this non-judgmental component that's so important for observing the mind. Um, so we're going to be naturalists. We're going to consider that our mind is an aspect of nature. It is conditioned. It has thoughts and emotions based on sensory input and our own past history. And that's and so we can sort of watch it and see like how it works. <laughs> like remember what that other teacher said, if you want to know how your mind works, sit down and observe it. So this is kind of a way to do that. So the general process um, is relax, allow, observe. So we relax so that we're not, you know, wrapped up and trying, trying so hard in our meditation. Just relax and allow your mind to be as it is and then observe with mindfulness, with right mindfulness, what is going on. And if we keep doing this repeatedly, taking a lot of data, if you will, just watching the mind, the wisdom will start to emerge. Wisdom will start to see the patterns of the mind. You know, it's like if we want to understand, we, we get a new puppy and we want to understand, okay, now I've got this new being in my life. How am I going to learn to relate to this puppy? Well, you'd probably watch the puppy, you know, you put it down in the living room and see what it does. Watch how it eats. Watch when it wants to go out. And when you take it on a walk, does it try to pull on the leash or not? And just like over the weeks and months, you get to know your dog, right? And so you kind of have a sense of, okay, when it's like that, I need to calm it down. You know, when it's wagging its tail that way, it actually means it's um, um, tired. I don't know but you learn all the patterns, right? Just by observing. So our mind is sort of not so different from a puppy sometimes, right? <laughs> and so we can observe that also and just kind of start to see, oh, okay, this is where my mind starts to get tired. Um, and so now I need to you know, notice what it's doing with that. Or, you know, just kind of watching how things unfold. Like I remember one time on retreat, I was um, observing, just watching the mind kind of go through the meals. It was an easy thing to um, uh, watch my mind doing. And I noticed that when I got about 70 or 80% of the way through the plate of food, I would get, I would start getting bored. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I, you know, I'm eating, eating, eating. And it's kind of like, are we done yet? Are we done yet? And so there was, there's sort of this point, and I noticed it several days in a row. I never really noticed that about my mind before, but it turns out it's just a pattern and about 70 or 80% of the way through whatever I'm eating, I get kind of bored with it. And so, you know, that was just something to see. I don't need to do a lot with that. Um, and, uh, but this is something that we can start to see. That's a pretty benign pattern, but we can also have patterns that are, you know, causing harm or um, uh, irritating to other people or, uh, down on ourselves in certain ways. And so we need to start seeing those. So 
usually we fail at allow. We have an agenda about what we want to do with our mind. So that's, uh, we probably don't even realize it. You know, we're sitting down to cultivate something. <laughs> but this, this practice, you just observe. You actually have to let your mind be as it is in all of its wonder and all of its horror at times. So um, one way that we can make sure that we don't have an agenda is that Sayadaw Utejaniya is clear that we should check our attitude now and then. What is the attitude that with which we're watching our mind or the attitude with which we're practicing? Um, and he uh, you know, favors noticing if we're practicing with greed, I want to get something, with hatred, I want to add something out of my mind, or with you know, sort of delusion, like I'm not really paying attention, um, or with balance. You know, we could be, be doing our practice with balance. So the key to kind of becoming free is to observe carefully without uh, buying, into, you know, buying into everything that our mind is giving us. And then he, um, the other main aspect of his teaching is to ask questions. His teaching is based on inquiry. So he asks, um, in particular, am I aware? Here's something you can ask throughout the day. Am I aware? And what am I aware of? Those two questions will do amazing things to support your mindfulness practice. Just checking every now and then, am I aware? What am I aware of? Or what is the attitude? You know, what is, how is my mind meeting experience right now? Um, those are kind of the key questions. And then another, he also likes to use little wisdom phrases. And so, for example, if your mind is really acting up in some way, like, wow, how did I manage to get into this state of mind? We can say, this is nature. This is nature. It's like a little wisdom input. Because remember, he doesn't want you to change your mind very much. But if it's getting all upset, or if it's getting sad, or if it's like getting overexcited about something, just say, this is nature. You know, it's coming about through conditions. And so um, if we can stay mindful through the mind's ups and downs, we start to gain a lot of wisdom. And we also start to gain confidence that we'll be able to manage our minds as we go along. So I have found that doing mindfulness of mind practice in the style that he offers it um, can stretch one's idea of what we can be mindful of. Um, you can be mindful of fogginess. You can be mindful of sleep. <laughs> Very interesting, falling asleep. Um, things that we wouldn't even describe very well, you know, realms, and sometimes in meditation, the mind can go into realms that are outside of what the rational mind can really describe. And it's possible still to have some awareness there. And that's, that's valuable for the mind to be able to see that. So we have to have some sort of disidentification with the mind to consider ourselves a naturalist like this. So that was why I emphasized that earlier. We need to be sufficiently non-identified with um, uh, what's going on. I see a question about to relax, allow, and observe are the three main components. So sufficiently non-identified with the contents of our mind. That means we don't get upset by, first of all, we don't get hooked into what we're thinking or feeling, but also that we don't get ups, um, upset about what it is. So if the mind is... Uh, depressed or, you know, instead of just falling into that or else saying, I shouldn't be depressed. Here's 10 reasons why that shouldn't be true. Um, 
Instead, we can say, wow, this is what depression is like. My heart's kind of slow, my body is heavy. Um, and then we can continue to observe with that. We can also, of course, it's very wonderful to observe joy and gratitude and happiness and other things that arise. Um, it's not all suffering in the mind. And the degree to which we can be mindful of pleasant states is actually enhances them and uh, helps them to grow and become more established in our heart. So there's also much emphasis on observing when the mind is calm, when the mind is joyful, just feeling what that is like. So you can see echoes of how it was in the sutta, noticing these various things. But it's very practical. Am I aware? What am I aware of? So we can start to see that the way the mind operates now, if we start to think, what are, what are some of the patterns that we start to see in how the mind functions? One of them that I'll just offer to you that you might start to see in your own experience is the way the mind creates worlds. It creates entire worlds um, through its thoughts and emotions. And um, like, for example, when we get to our front door and find that it's locked. We, we, we don't have our key. We, we have an instant thought world created. Wow, what am I gonna do about that? Can I call my partner? Where's my phone? You know, it's like instantly like a whole scenario that was not there five seconds ago has arisen and there's, you know, instantly the mind is trying to figure things out. And it's fascinating to watch these worlds arise or somebody just says something simple to us, you know, um, that we didn't expect them to say, and it's delightful, or it's scary, or it's surprising, and and this whole world appears in the mind, and from that we and we we willfully enter into it, and then react from that. And when we start to observe the mind and see what it's doing, see these worlds arise, it's a little bit harder to totally buy into that world if you see it. It wasn't there, and then it's there. Wow. Um, and then you might get sucked in the next moment. But it, it's just a few times if you can start to see the mind creating worlds, very um, helpful, very helpful for being able to, for supporting your practice. And we can also see worlds disappear. Like we don't, maybe we don't realize that we're in a world. We're walking through um, our life with an, an idea of something. And then something happens that we realize, oh, that was completely not correct. That was, that was not what was happening. And that whole world disappears in an instant. You know, we were thinking that the person walking toward us is our friend and we're waving wildly and, and remembering what we're going to say to them. And then they get closer and it's not our friend. Like, oh, that whole world disappears, right? And it's, it's something different. And that's also a very useful moment is to recognize, oh, wow, that was all a creation of my mind when I thought that that perception was that it was my friend, but it wasn't. When it vanishes, also we see, oh, worlds are so ephemeral <laughs> that the mind is creating moment to moment. It doesn't mean that we need to then say, well, world creation is bad. I'm going to stop creating any worlds. No, <laughs> you will definitely keep creating worlds, but it's um, so helpful to see that they're not as substantial as we think they are and to see how often we're not quite right about them either. So this just helps us have more wisdom about living our life. 
So I would also encourage you to, to watch the creation and destruction of entire worlds of thought and understanding of what something is and then it's gone or where it comes into being. And then I see, um, I want to leave time for some questions and comments. So the very, the last thing that I'll say is, um, is that when very, just in case now and then you fall out of mindfulness, <laughs> as we all do, this practice includes the, um, the possibility of seeing what happens as we wake up into mindfulness. So this happens a lot if we have a mindfulness practice, you know, we're not mindful for however long we're not mindful for, and then at some point it returns, oh, mindful again. Um, and when, when that happens, when we haven't been mindful, who knows what's going on with the mind, right? We, we weren't mindful, we didn't know. But when we wake up to, into mindfulness, we wake up essentially into what's already happening. There's, there's experience going on and we wake up into it. What happens to your mind as you take in what is already happening as you wake up into it? It's a very interesting practice. So for example, we may often, there is a um, moment of confusion because we wake up into something where we have to suddenly take in what's going on. Um, and there's several things going on maybe. And so there's a moment where the mind scrambles because it doesn't have its footing. And then it actually imposes its, under, its order onto the world. So we wake up, we don't know what's going on and we quickly impose, okay, it's, I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm at home sitting at my computer. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good enough perception, but that's a moment when it might be a wrong perception. But see if you can see that moment of confusion where the mind tries to orient itself to what it has woken up into. That is very, very useful information because it tells us how we are structuring our world. What do we look at first? Do we consider our body? Where am I oriented in space? Do we check in first with our emotion? How do I feel now that I've woken up? You will have some preference in the way you operate and it's all fine, but it's good to know how your mind operates in that way. What do you check in with first? What do you, how do you impose order on the world? Um, what do you look at to orient and see what is familiar? So we start to watch this process of imposing order uh, and creating, essentially creating a self <laughs> to occupy that space that we've come into. And um, it has a lot of useful information for us. So we're really starting to see the, the tricks of the mind. Mind sure is tricky. Um, essentially, once we accept that the, the difficulties, as well as the wonders and beauties of our mind are all worth learning from, that's when we can really start to gain a lot from this third foundation of mindfulness. So I think this mindfulness of mind and the third establishment of mindfulness is a gold mine. It's just a gold mine for how we can live our life better, how we can cultivate wisdom, where we're suffering and where we can be free. The Buddha is clear that if there's anything that becomes liberated, it's not, there's no one thing <laughs> that becomes liberated, but for sure it's not us. We're not going to be liberated, but the mind, the citta, he does say that becomes liberated. So this is a really, really potent area. It's where we suffer and it's where we're free. So I think it's important to familiarize ourselves with how it works and all of its components and so forth.
So I wish you uh, discovery of the wonders of the mind. Maybe I'll stop there so that we have a chance for some discussion or questions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.